Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mark Rose Podcast. You know, whenever we as individuals combine with anything, you know, anything outside of ourselves, it's really intriguing to explore how we relate to that thing or that person and where do we have friction? Where do we bump up against things? How does our conditioning lead to that? Uh, and uh, the version we are capable of bringing in different environments, different circumstances with different things, right? Like different objects, different foods, different uh, relationships, and how we might have more resiliency in one than another. We might have more. Uh, we might have more potential to overindulge or to lack boundaries or to be too guarded or rigid. Right. Like it's when we start to explore that part of ourselves, that relatingness. I don't know if that's a word, but you know what I'm saying? That in when we start to explore that with curiosity of like, what's that coming up there? We really open ourselves to a level of awareness that will empower us to deepen our relationships because we'll see these opportunities, these frictions as opportunities for deeper exploration for deeper healing, for an opportunity to understand another person in a different way. That's my hope always with every episode that I create is that there's, it's not just about romantic relationships. As I said this, you know, it's like, it's about you and it's about how you interact with the world and what you make things in the world mean about you too. And how unconscious things drive perhaps a fear-based response and you to shut down or to experience anxiety you know, because we're not conscious of even the information we're taking in. And we are certainly as a collective sort of holding a lot right now, going through a collective trauma and an initiatory process, as Francis Weller would say, which if you haven't listened to that podcast episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to Francis Weller. So this is all to say thank you for being on this journey with me for being curious and open. I wanted to share with you a five-star review that you left. Maddie3H said, powerful listen, awareness changed me and gave it five stars. I'm grateful for the language skills and awareness Mark has helped me cultivate over the past couple of years. Mark is a role model for relational connection and authenticity. I don't always agree with his social media posts or the occasional guest, but I found it valuable to practice tolerance. It's okay that I choose a different path. Between this podcast and my experience in therapy, I've made incredible progress on reconnecting with myself. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Maddie. You know, this is what it's all about, is I'm not going to agree with everything you might say, and you're certainly not going to potentially agree with everything I say. And that doesn't mean that love doesn't still exist, that connection doesn't exist, right? That, that we can't find a space, a perspective of understanding of me really witnessing, making the effort to step outside of needing to be right so that I can explore your experience as that also cultivates a space for you to explore mine that maybe if I just soften into curiosity, that it might inspire you to soften into curiosity. I always remember a line from Byron Katie that, where she says that you can't have war with one person, that as soon as one person puts the arms down and the other person is holding the arms, there's no war anymore. 
And that is our job is to not just put down our arms and surrender to this space of being bulldozed or walked all over, but rather to surrender for the need to be right, to surrender for the need to not feel discomfort. And all of this is out of the context of abusive relationships or any really highly dysfunctional toxicity. I'm speaking in normal relating, and I'm speaking about it in the space of relating to everybody in every way, in our work, to our personal, to our family, to our romantic relationships. And if we could just breathe more space, more nuance, more bridges between different perspectives, we might be open to exploring our own a little more and being open to it not being right. I feel like the space between us and other people where there is a safety to dance and curiosity has been really eradicated. And we see this politically, we see this in our identities and our religious views and um you know, especially in our political views and certainly in our views about what's going on in the world today. And so maybe, you know, when you listen to this episode, that it just breathe in a little more space, that it just invite you to maybe go through your day with a little more room, a little more curiosity and to observe your triggers and, and, and really observe how you want to react versus what's actually constructive, what's actually protective in a way that unifies, in a way like what actually protects the space between you and another. And that's what I mean, not guarded, protected, but like boundaried, that your boundaries protect the way you want to interact. As I'm sure you're aware of, I do not work with a ton of brands. And the reason I don't is because if I'm going to bring it into your life, into your ear, into all the things, I have to be willing to bring it into mine. And I only want to partner with brands that have high levels of integrity, high levels of quality. And that's why I'm so pumped up to have found Organifi. You know, I had Drew Canoli founder on the podcast. You should check out that episode. It's so great. You can learn a little bit more about him and his story and why he founded it. And if you don't know what Organifi is, it's a line of organic superfood blends that they they offer plant-based nutrition. And it's made with high quality ingredients. Each blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. So the green juice, which let's be honest, I don't know if you've ever had a green juice, but it usually tastes like lawnmower cuttings mixed with water. It's gross. It's actually super delicious. I have it every morning. It's just such a great way to start the day. They also have Organifi Gold, which is a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so you can wake up feeling refreshed. Each is easy to use. You just mix it with water or your favorite beverage while you're going, while you're out and about, and they do not compromise quality for taste. It's delicious. So they take pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. So all you got to do is go to Organifi.com slash create the love and use the code create the love and you get 20% off your order. And right now you get free shipping. And that's just specific to create the lovers. So once again, you go to Organifi.com slash create the love and the code create the love gets you 20% off any item and free shipping. I can't wait for you to try it out. So this conversation was really moving for me. 
and this guest has been on the podcast before. He's a prolific thinker. He's brilliant. He's an amazing writer. He's become a good friend. And I'm really excited to have him back on because for those of you who've listened to the first episode with him, it's it was incredible. And I encourage you, if you didn't, to go check it out. And also a reminder, if you could, wherever you listen to this, subscribe to it for sure. You don't want to miss an episode. I've got some amazing episodes coming up, including the one you're listening to. And uh, give it a written review and a five-star review. That's so helpful. And share this episode if it moves you, if it touches you, if it if it does something for you, it will certainly do something for someone else. So without further ado, here is Young Pueblo, a.k.a. Diego Perez. What's up, what's up, what's up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. Today I have a returning guest who I believe, yep, one of the most one of the most shared, one of the most popular episodes that we did talking about community, connection, human experience. And you may know this gentleman as Young Pueblo, the writer, incredible writer. And he goes by Diego Perez. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, my brother. It's so good to be with you, Mark. Yeah, I remember our last podcast really fondly. So I'm grateful to to let's, you know, have another go around. Yeah, I mean, a lot to talk about since the last time we spoke, we were, I believe, just sort of in the beginnings. We were definitely in the beginning of pandemic. And I know you've since given birth to a book called Clarity and Connection. And I'm excited to dive into what you and 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 I have discovered and and what you've shared in this book too in the last year and a half, which has been by every design, one of the greatest sort of pressure cookers, human expansion and growth and suffering and all of the things. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a pretty, a pretty intense ride. I mean, I think for, you know, as an individual within my relationship, within my family, especially, it's been a tough go around. I mean, we've lost family members. It's been, it's been serious. You know, it's the reality of the pandemic has been certainly directly felt, but at the same time, there have also been a lot of upsides where, I think for both my wife and I, we've gotten to realize how a lot of that internal meditative work that we've been plugging away at has actually been really useful. You know, not just like in our own minds, creating peace, but just like being able to show up for family members when when things get really difficult for our circle. Yeah, I think for, you know, people that don't know, if you could uh, express what the meditation work is that you're speaking to, uh, I want to dive a little more into that because I've been really fascinated by it. And yeah, so share a bit of that. And then I have some some questions. Yeah, sure, sure. So I meditate Vipassana as taught by S.N. Goenka. And it's a really old me, really old Burmese style that um, originates from Myanmar. And it you know, originally comes from the Buddhist teachings. And over time, it's just sort of spread back all around the world. And I did my first course back in July of 2012. And it's a silent retreat where you kind of just totally unplug from the world. You totally disconnect. You, you know, you give them your phone, you, you just go in and you essentially live like a monk for 10 days and you're in total silence. And the whole time you're being walked through a long hundred hour guided meditation. And it's profoundly transformative. I remember when I went there, I felt like when I was done, not only did my mind feel a lot lighter, 
Like I literally felt like my my mind had lost weight. I also felt like I had learned more than I had ever learned before. And I remember when I was speaking to my friends, the only thing that I could really equate it to was that I learned more in those 10 days than in four years of college. And it was just such a big shift. And it was only the beginning, you know, I was really just still scratching the surface. But I realized that I had um, kind of hit upon something that was actually helping me heal. And I ended up going back and doing more, you know, more 10-day courses and and I still do them, you know, to this day. Now I, I, I do 10 days, but I also do longer ones. And it has been just like the primary vehicle for my growth and for my for my freedom because I've been able to kind of hunker down in this practice and it's given me so much. It's been able to really help me just bring positive order to my life that I didn't mm-hmm. have before. I'm curious when you said I learned more than the four years of college, I'm curious what's not what college, what college did you go to that you didn't know, but like, what, <laughs> what did you learn in those 10 days that was, that had that significant of an impact? Yeah. So it's interesting. Cause you know, I, I think a lot of times we spend our existence on the conscious level of our mind where we're really good at intellectualizing. We're really good at manipulating like analytical information. You know, we're good with numbers. We're good with thoughts, with ideas where we're really good at reading and writing, but we don't spend a lot of time with wisdom. And wisdom is something that you have to gain from direct experience. It's something that you can access through feeling and through meditating, especially this Vipassana technique, you know, it specifically opened the door to the wisdom of impermanence. You know, the fact that everything's changing at an atomic level, at the mental level, at the physical level, change is just constantly happening. But when you're able to feel that change at a really profound, you know, at a new depth, it has a pretty transformative effect on the mind. It really helps a lot of the delusions that you've been carrying sort of melt away. And that growing understanding of impermanence wasn't something that I could really gain, you know, through books. Like you can read about it and it's helpful at the intellectual level, but at the level of direct experience, you know, that's where the real transformation takes place. And, um, and that's what the, the retreat really gave me. Yeah. Like where the knowledge starts to be experienced, which is a whole different on a cellular level. It's such a different, it's like, y- you know, something's not good for you, but till you like choose differently, the knowledge till you implement it, you don't actually feel the benefits. You don't actually have a lived experience of what everyone tells you is possible, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's funny because you can, you know, I think a lot of us find when we're really interested in like personal development, right? You could read so many personal development books and, you know, really go into all these rabbit holes. But what's the reality is that you will see your own personal growth in your lived experience. You'll see it when difficult things happen, when challenges arise, like how do you go about handling them? How, how, how are you able to, you know, notice in your own mind when the past is starting to roar up again and you're actually able to not get caught in that loop anymore. You know, when you're actually having these experiences, it's very different from, you know, reading the books about these experiences. Yeah. Like observing them versus just, you know, actually observing yourself in the actual moment, making a different choice, which, you know, and when I think about meditation, the last time we spoke, we talked about Vipassana a little bit. I don't believe we really talked about it on the podcast, but we talked about it personally. I was really drawn to this idea of doing one in in the pandemic. You were, you were like, 
feeding something that I would, when you told me about your experience of Vipassana, I had just been to a retreat with a spiritual teacher named Gangaji. And I remember she said in the retreat, she said, silence is who you are. And I was really drawn to that statement because it was sort of in that space between words, in that space of just me, of just nothingness is everything, is me. And when you were sharing with me your experience of Vipassana, I remember asking you like, what is it that that you sort of cultivate? I remember you saying that you can, you get to such a place of presence that you can feel your blood flowing through your body, like on that. (laughs) And I, that to me was like such, it just was indicative of such attunement to self. Like just like all of a sudden a presence that because our minds are so pulled away with our phones, with with every distraction that ultimately brings us away from, as you're saying, a transformative emotion, an emotion that within it embodies, even in the grief, which we're taught to avoid in the healthy anger and just exploring those emotions that we're, we're told, those are not good emotions. There must be something wrong with you that you're experiencing sadness as opposed to there's something right with you that your circumstances are sad. It should be grieved. And then within that presence to the emotion is the wisdom that allows us to move, to change, to grow, to whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I totally know what you mean. And and it's it's interesting because when you get those opportunities to go deep into the silence and to just be totally immersed with whatever arises in the silence, you find that you start traversing through this like giant spectrum of emotions. And it's not so much about like pinpointing or trying to direct like, oh, this emotion versus that one, or this one's better than that one. But it's just being able to feel the impermanence of all of these emotions. And also not just feeling like the impermanence of the emotions, but really connecting to the reality that, you know, whatever happens on the mind, whether it's an emotion or a thought, it actually arises with a sensation on the body. And a lot of times you're, you will be reacting to the sensations on the body as opposed to what's happening on the mind. So being able to tease out these like subtle spaces, you know, before the reaction happens and being able to kind of notice that like, oh, you know, like anger has a feeling in the body. Sadness has a feeling in the body. You know, when people say like, I feel jealousy, like that these are actual tangible feelings on the body and we react to them. So being able to make that connection and not always get tangled up in the sort of opaqueness of the mind, because sometimes it's unclear, you know, especially if you have a lot of trauma that has been accumulated over time, trying to figure out your way of letting go and navigating, you know, all of these difficult memories and trying to see like, how can you create sort of space for you to live your life now and not be so tied up with the past? It feels quite difficult, but when you start feeling and understanding that, oh, what I'm actually reacting to are a lot are these sensations that are coming up with these thoughts. And you're able to build equanimity towards those sensations and being, you know, equanimity being the ability to observe them as they are with a balanced mind, to not react to them, to not have craving towards them, to not have aversion towards them, and just take them for what they are. They actually start losing their power and your mind starts, you know, losing that, uh, that like that tense weight that it carries. And imagine how much time we spend in that cycle of being pulled away, of being in craving, of being in suffering. and Day and being, night. Day right, and night. Right. And like how much our bodies experience 
is not based on legitimate information in the moment, but rather fear of a future or suffering from a past, which mm -hmm. is not to delegitimize those two experiences because it's very human to ruminate and to catastrophize and to do all those <laughs> things. But in doing that, it really pulls us out of the juiciness of now, of like what is possible now, of also moving through what was and moving towards a desired future. And, and sort of what I hear in what you're saying is to really learn how to cultivate, cultivate presence and sort of like a lack of flightiness from nuance, like being able to dance in nuance. Is that a fair representation or, or language? Oh, and you know, I love what you just, I did dance in nuance. You got to write that down. <laughs> and there's something that the Vipassana teacher says where, you know, like a, a good sign and like a good measurement that you're moving in the direction of enlightenment is that you're able to see more perspectives than your own. And that, and you know, I've been thinking about that, especially in terms of emotional maturity. Like when you think about, how you're interacting with your friends or with your family members or with, you know, an intimate partner to be able to like literally live outside of your perspective, to like feel your perspective, the reality of it, honor it, but then also be able to step aside from it and take in someone else's perspective. Like that shows a lot of growth. And I think in that, you know, if you, it'll be quite difficult to be able to build a mutual understanding without that ability to be like, okay, you know, I know how I feel, but let me set that aside for a moment and take in your perspective because your feelings are just as valid as mine. I mean, that is the magic to everything right now, because <laughs> I feel like the, even what we're seeing in terms of censorship or a lack of conversation that is even occurring from like a public health domain and even any, you know, politically, all of this is representative, you know, on a macro level of what you're saying is essential on a micro level, which is for you and I, even as friends, to be in a healthy, mutually expansive relationship. There needs to be space for both of our 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 truths. And and that like my truth doesn't negate yours and yours doesn't negate mine, that actually both coexist and they're not oppositional, but rather there's space for nuance. There's space for us to actually build a deeper level of friendship and intimacy and truthfully on like a relational perspective too. Like, I feel like that's where love is truly merged in some ways. While there's still a, a sovereignty over self and, and thought, there's also a space that lives between us that is newly discovered deepening thoughts. Do you know what I mean? Like almost like our last conversation was the birthplace of, and I think this is true of all conversations, that they're the birthplace of, of two minds sort of meeting in a space and giving language to somatic experience, which really is such a beautiful thing when you think about it. You know, the points that we're like, the points that we're making now are making me think about how like one, it's making me reflect back on the big shift that happened with my wife and I, where we started transitioning out of having such kind of like long drawn out arguments. And because lately we've kind of like taken a bit of the power out of the arguments because neither of us are trying to win anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. So like this, there used to be this old style of arguing that I think was just so common for everyone where it was like, you know, power over, like I'm trying to figure out how I can make you see my perspective, negate your own perspective. And then 
you know, once one of us totally dominates, then then that's the end of the discussion. But now that we've both kind of thrown that idea out the window, it's just taking the power out of all that kind of intensity in the argument. And, and I think that really stemmed from our ability to start seeing each other's perspectives and no longer doing that, like negating, you know, like, oh, because you did this to me, that means that you also can't feel bad. It's like, no, it's not that, that at all. You know, we both have stories here and both the stories are equally valid. But now let's figure out how can we find a new middle ground for the both of us so that we can actually move forward from this and not just stay stuck in the mud. I love that because it, cha- it tr- you know, it's sort of like separating from codependency to interdependency and mm. and really that the neither individual winning is actually winning, but rather deepening trust, intimacy and security and moving both of your life trajectories in a mutually cohesive sort of way. Like I was thinking the other day, someone was asking me, what's the difference between compromise and and sacrifice? And I was thinking, well, in sacrifice, you you actually lose something. In compromise, there you, you might have something that doesn't occur, but it, you actually feel more expansive. Like it contributes to something greater. And I think about what you're saying. And like, if I just change a perspective a little bit, because I discovered a perspective from someone else, I'm not sacrificing anything. If anything, I'm, I'm literally broadening my space and my experience, you know? Absolutely. You know, it's funny because, um, you know, a lot about relationships. So I'm just going to tell you the things that I've been thinking lately. <laughs> There's this one thought that I've been having and it's, you know, totally flowing from what you just said, I mean, I haven't really put it to words yet, but I've been realizing how I've been married for think like about six years now. My wife and I have been together for a long time, for like 13 years. But I've been realizing that a lot of our relationship and a lot of our harmony together is sort of based on the fact that each of us is able to get 50% of what we want, right? Where, you know, she gets to decide like, you know, the things that are really important for her, the way she wants, like in the house or you know, whatever. Sounds like we have similar partners where we're <laughs> one specific area of desire. I'm like I did these doors, they're getting put back on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. But they're currently <laughs> their paint colors and choices like that. Not my yeah, domain. Yeah. Exactly. So, so each of us, right. We, we both have to figure out like, what are the things that I feel pretty strongly about that I want to, you know, really have come to fruition in our relationship. But then there's also like like what you were saying about sort of sacrifice versus compromise. Then there's another half that doesn't really, like I don't really get what I want. And I also didn't really feel that strongly about all of that, that stuff anyways. But I actually don't lose anything because the part that she gets, right? The 50% that she gets, like I see her happiness, her leading her own life. And actually, I'm actually not lacking anything because her happiness it shines so brightly that it actually helps me with my own fulfillment. And I actually get so much out of seeing her be thrilled with the life that she's living and the life that she's creating. And similarly, she gets that from me when, you know, I get my 50%. And it's funny because at the end of the day, we both end up with a hundred because half is what I want and half is me just enjoying seeing her happiness. And it's interesting because that, that struggle of control can be so just like so limiting on love. If you try to get everything you want, you're just going to push people out of your life all the time. Yeah, that I love that articulation of that. I've never thought of that, you know, 
the 50 and the 50, obviously making up a hundred, but, but in your own lived experience of a hundred percent is the spaces of the things you desired that perhaps were not met in that mutual creation were actually met by the experience of, and the admiration for her Right. The ha- her, her, just her happiness glowing, you know, right. it's like, oh, I, I, cause I love her so much when I see her happy, my happiness automatically clicks on. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's relational success. You know, I think that's the relationships cultivated from that space, you know, not for you listening because you're listening to this podcast. So you're obviously thoughtful about these things, but for a lot of people are, you know, the idea of celebrating the individuality and the sovereignty and the dreams mm-hmm. of our partner is in opposition or contradiction or conflict to the relational design, you know, and I think if we think sort of historically more in sort of a patriarchal relational structure, which is what most of us have inherited, right. uh, all of us have inherited, yeah. <laughs> is is that like one person's some of their needs gets met and the relationship is sort of focused more on the man's needs, but that's what the man was taught to want and taught to need. So really there's not a satisfying and the other person was taught to self-abandon and to compromise. And so Mm -hmm. being able to, I think when one person sort of reclaims or takes on this, like, I'm going to really live what I'm passionate about. I'm going to do what I love within a container of relationship. It can often threaten the container of the relationship because the relationship itself was constructed on old paradigms. And so it sort of needs to either fracture and shatter. It has to. And then a new relationship is born or not. And and I think as a, as a species, whatever we're going to call ourselves, we have a real aversion to death. So we have a real aversion to any endings. And so, yes. yeah. you know, relational endings, we have really shamed and and really cultivated culture of toxicity around people celebrate, you know, actually being happy and the relationship being over, which is, you know, somehow this misconception that love ends when a relationship ends, you know, as opposed to it deepens or broadens or the definition changes. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I was talking to Shay the other day from Rising Woman and she made this, she, you know, elucidated this point so beautifully. She said something along the lines of, you know, every morning when she wakes up, she is basically falling in love with a different person every day, her same partner, right? But every time they wake up, it's a different person. Like they wake up with a different mood. They wake up with different goals. They're moving about the day in a different way, but it's like, how can I love this person again and again? But having that, you know, it reminds me of what I've been thinking about a lot too, where we cause ourselves a lot of suffering when we have a very static sense of identity. If I'm like, oh, this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be and this is how I'm going to be for the rest of my life, you know, actually you're leaving very little room for evolution, very little room for letting go of old ideas that actually are not serving you that well, you know, so allowing yourself to have these sort of small paradigm shifts in a daily basis, in a weekly basis, as you learn new things and, you know, when you learn new things and you start trying new things, you'll actually find that when you're trying to cultivate a really profound, harmonious, successful relationship, the imagery that most clarifies what it's really like is that you're both two rivers that have decided to flow together side by side. Like you're both changing, you're both weaving, you're both elongating, you're both sort of, you know, just going through different motions, but you're doing it and deciding to move 
together through this life. And you're not, you're not becoming one river, you know, you're not becoming like a puddle, you're not becoming like a lake, you know, you're just, you're constantly moving together and changing. And I think allowing for impermanence to be a key facet of the relationship, the fact that like, okay, even, you know, and it's funny, like my wife and I, we met, like she was 18 and I was 19. We were, we were kids, you know, we literally have grown up together. We, even when we look at pictures, like how we look then, like it's so much has changed. And I think it's beautiful, you know, the fact that it's like, okay, let's let's live this life together and let's grow old together and let's just make the most of this moment. And we're constantly going to be, you know, changing. I mean, I think of the like version of me that met the version of Kai from when we mm. first, you know, you sort of, uh, you know, when people are like, you've changed, it's like, you're good. I hope that we have, <laughs> but to see how much growth and healing and transformation has occurred within the container of relationship due to the challenges and the frictions and the, like, it's amazing what, when you turn towards challenges as an invitation to deepen our humanity, to deepen our compassion, our understanding, also to create space for each other's suffering and each other's wounds. Like what you said about impermanence, I love that because I think a lot of what becomes challenges in relationship is the sort of unconscious certainty, or maybe conscious, I'd say it's mostly unconscious, certainty that comes from staying in cycles of behavior, cycles of patterns of how to handle conflict, even the idea that our our trauma is our identity, you know, and like one of the first steps of, mm-hmm. of healing trauma is, is recognizing that there's a choice, you know, and and so in that like transformational process of building trust around boundaries and relationship, part of it is keeping small promises to yourself just to know that you can like making your bed every day and just knowing that keeping that commitment every day is is showing up for you. And it's like such a transformational experience, but it seems so mundane, much like what you're saying is go into silence and you'll discover you'll get a f- more than a four years college education which is so counterintuitive because we're in a busy culture. We're in a, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's funny because that our relationship too, in some ways, like when I think about my wife and I, we, it's like we had two different relationships, mm-hmm. you know, two totally, like there was the period before we started meditating and the period after. <laughs> like BM <laughs> and, and PM yeah. or and yeah, we, uh, AM. Yeah, there we go. We, you know, the first half, which was like pretty was long. It was, I think we, it was probably like about six to seven years that we were together before we started meditating. And those years, like undoubtedly, there was a very strong connection. But between the both of us, we had an emotional maturity level of zero. Like, <laughs> you know, we were just like- You're not we even were giving young. yourself had, half, half a year. Yeah, yeah. We we were we were at hard zeros, the both of us. But- um. <laughs> But we like, you know, we, we stuck it out. It was hard. It was rough, but our connection was there, but we had no, no tools or language or experience to be able to build on that connection, to Mm -hmm. be able to have an even deeper connection together. So I think even for those, you know, that first half, like our relationship was pretty superficial, especially compared to how it is now. Like we're able to connect so much deeper, you know, to, to both show up with so much more vulnerability than before. And there's nothing perfect about our relationship now, but it's a big difference when you know what it's like to to really never really have harmony between the two of you. And then what harmony feels like now where we can more so flow together, 
and understand each other and not be so demanding on each other so that we can both have, you know, more space to breathe and feel free and exist and, you know, be empowered to be individuals within the container of our relationship. But I, I really attribute, you know, both of us having some sort of practice to get to know ourselves. Because a lot of times, you know, especially with me, like one of my big problems was that I would lie to myself all the time. And all of these lies, they created a lot of distance. And honestly, that distance was between me and myself. But immediately that distance made it even bigger between me and other people. So I was like, you know, so far away from my parents, so far away from my brother and sister, so far away from from my my wife. Like, you know, we knew each other, lived with each other, but there was so much room for a deeper connection that just couldn't really be possible until, until I started connecting with myself more deeply. And I really owe that to meditation. And, you know, and that, we were talking a lot about meditation because that's, that's just what I know. When I, you know, write, I try to really support people in finding whatever it is that they need, you know, whether they need to talk to a coach or a therapist or a psychiatrist or, you know, whether they want to use light form of meditation or a more serious form of meditation. There's just a, so much out there in this day and age that we live in. So it's really about, you know, you finding something that meets you where you're at. But as soon as you find what you need to do that deep healing work, you'll start seeing that your relationships will become much, much more fruitful and deeper and more fulfilling. I love that you said, you know, there's many vehicles because there's, you know, there, I, I feel like you sort of follow the breadcrumbs of serendipity, you know, of like what shows up in your life, what quote you're drawn to, you know, and right, obviously right. million, you know, million plus people are really drawn to your work and that's just on Instagram. <laughs> so, you know, just to see like they're drawn to it. And I always think of this too, anyone who comes through the portal of my work is that it's just the beginning or it's a continuation, right? But you'll find another teacher, like someone might follow my work and find you here. And now they're drawn to the words you're saying. And and I, I love, like in my own journey, I've just sort of followed that, the breadcrumbs of wisdom that I've needed to wake, to remind me that it's already here, you know, that it, it to wake up the parts of me that maybe being socialized to not be awake or maybe over long genealogy, there's probably been many generations that were too busy in survival mode or trying to find berries and bears or whatever, then to be able to ask like, why am I here? And what is the purpose of this life? Although I guess on a lot of levels, I would argue that day-to-day -day life was quite meditative historically. Like when we go back to being connected and in unison with land and, and it, you know, Vipassana and meditation in general, but perhaps more specifically Vipassana, I think really does begin to align us with sort of the circadian rhythm of the planet again, that we are like sort of an attunement again. We go to bed when the earth goes to bed, we wake up when it wakes up. And I was listening to an Indian elder not long ago say that you wake up in the morning and you go out and you listen to the birds bring the messages of the day. And it just reminded me that like we listen to a bird and we might hear a beautiful song, but we don't hear it through the language we were taught, um, even though it is a language. And I, I think it's like just being able to return to the knowing of that. It feels like it's what we're being called towards. I, I hear that now in the ether of the human dialogue is this conversation to return to land and to grow our own food. Because I mean, I don't think this is debatable, but the food industry is really not 
in general have our best interests at heart. And so, you know, we, food is medicine. And so again, this return back to sort of circadian alignment. Yeah. Also like, you know, it's funny because I think a lot often about how food production systems globally are very centralized. So that, you know, is not only really bad for the planet, but it's potentially dangerous, right? Like if there's like some massive plight or if something kind of shocks the system, a lot of us could go hungry. So one of the reasons that my wife and I moved out to to where we live now out in uh, Western Massachusetts is to have land to like get in touch. Cause I've like, I've grown up in cities. Like I was born in a major city. I've, you know, grown up in major cities and I lived in New York for almost seven years. And I realized I was like, okay, this has been fantastic, but I need to be surrounded by trees. And I feel like I would get so much benefit from that. And even like today, you know, I, I wake up and I like post on Instagram and then I'm like, all right, I got to go water my garden. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to make, trying to, got to make sure that my watermelon plants have enough water so that they can blossom. And but yeah, we're, I mean, we're growing a lot out there besides watermelon, but it's just so, I don't know, there's so, so much beauty about being connected to what's actually real and doesn't have anything to do with technology, right? Technology is very real, but it's compounded. It's different things that we combine together to create something new. And nature has a similar quality, but it's much slower. It happens over like, uh, you know, thousands, millions of years. But, you know, one idea that I've been thinking about a lot, and it's a story that I always find really inspiring, is the Buddha, when he was about to reach enlightenment, this being called Mara, which is sort of like the the like king of delusion, was trying to stop him and trying to like entice him into like being fearful, into you know being you know falling into craving. And Mara finally asked him like, "What you know who who is your witness? Like, there's no one here. Who is your witness?" And the Buddha points to the ground, touches the ground, and he was like, "The earth, you know, without saying so, he's like, the earth is my witness.'" and is going to witness what's happening here. And it was just, to me, that story has always been just like kind of fills me with inspiration that no matter where you are, whether you're in, you know, New York City, that's like totally concrete. Nature's always there with you. You actually just have to look up to the sky and you're totally surrounded by it. But something so beautiful about it and to be disconnected from that, it hurts. Yeah, I remember being in New York City and thinking I was going to move there because I loved the energy of it, you know, like going and getting immersed in sort of this like creative cascade. And it's hard to deny the amount of creative energy that's there. And I was craving trees. I mean, I lived at that point, I lived in Vancouver. So I'm like surrounded by rainforest and like, you know, even within the city, there's rainforest. So then I go to New York and I was there for six weeks. And in the last week I was there, I like walked from top to bottom Central Park three times because I was just like, I need, <laughs> I need something. And I realized I just, I couldn't be there. And us, just like you and your wife, Kylie, and I have moved to more of an acreage type of life just to, you know, I'm, I, you know, I think, man, I was like 20s in my 20s and early 30s. The city was a place to be in. And, and that's why I like for everybody, some people, New York is their nature. And I respect that. You know, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I do think there is, you know, they might, maybe their nature is their local coffee shop and they know the bakery and <laughs> all that stuff, which is so cool because that's community. And, you know, I think one thing, and I'm curious to get your thoughts, like, one thing I think we're all learning on a much deeper, more profound, and I would say on a very painful level, and I'm not sure that we've really even touched the depths of that is 
just how much we need community, especially in the last year. And and I'm curious in the last, you know, since we spoke really at the beginning of it, what has been, you know, some of your greatest learnings? Because I know this book was birthed in those learnings. So like really what what have you found? And 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 maybe we've touched a bit on them, but would love to hear what's been going on yeah. for you. You know, one of the biggest, I think, things that sticks out from this year is balance. You know, balance has been like the key sort of like um, idea that I've been playing with and just trying to understand how how quickly and how easily we can take any idea and push it to an extreme. And then it could be something that could have, could have initially been great advice. And then we take it to like its penultimate level, like way, way too high up and it becomes unhealthy. And you can do that with a lot of things. And balance itself, I think, especially during the pandemic, whether it was with like, you know, watching Netflix, eating food, like, you know, being on the phone too much or just just anything. It's just like being able to understand that when I do have a balance, I actually feel better. And I need to be really mindful like what I'm giving my attention to because every time I'm giving attention, I'm consuming energy. And it's very easy to just deplete yourself. But I think that's why, you know, because it's it's interesting going back to the New York City thing. Like, I loved New York City. New York City was just like one of the most beautiful, like, energetic play, play, like playgrounds. Like, it, it just has this really special energy there. And that's why so many people go there and so many amazing things are created there. And, and my wife and I, you know, we were so grateful. Like, you know, she's she's pretty serious scientist. And, you know, she developed her whole career there while in New York City. And I, you know, I developed all, you know, all the Young Pueblo stuff was created in New York City. But then at the same time, it felt like, oh, now we need to find our own balance, you know? So like, I have so much respect. And I, I you know, I was just in New York City a few, a week ago just to go visit. But like, it, it's all about finding your balance, right? Because your balance and my balance may be totally different because, right, you have your own mental conditioning, you have your own aspirations, your own goals, your emotional history, even though we both may react and we may be moving through the same spectrum of emotions, what we've accumulated over time, the imprints that are in the subconscious of our mind, they're pretty different. So the technique that works for you versus the technique that'll work for me or where you need to live or versus where I need to live that'll best support me and, you know, being the best version of myself, like all of that is case by case, you know? So even when you hear the two of us talk, go with, you know, whatever it is that connects with your intuition, but don't just like take everything to heart because we're, we're also just two people living our lives and figuring it out. But it's really, you know, it's totally personalized. Like we're the, the way the decisions that we've made and the, like the, the things that we decide to write about, it's all pretty dependent on where we are in this moment. And I think that's why balance has just been so clutch because we're inundated with information. So just take everything with, you know, a grain of salt. Yeah. And in that inundation of information is the importance of being able to decide what information you want, decide how it affects your body. You know, it's so easy, I think, in in the digital age that we live in and, and the whole model of social media is to hijack your amygdala. You know, the yeah. whole model yeah. of it is... <laughs> I remember listening to Rebel Wisdom, the podcast, and they had Daniel, I want to say his last name is like Schlockenberger or something. And sorry, Daniel, for getting it wrong, because I for sure did. And it was on sense making. And it was a very beautiful, objective discussion. And in it, he said that ultimately every 
media outlet is a race to the bottom of the brainstem. And Oof. yeah, and I thought, okay, well, we are biological and, you know, I think we can say we're, you know, I think, I think it's Wayne Dyer who said we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And, but we can't forget that we're human, you know, that, that, that amygdala pull, that biases we have. And as you said, all the things that shape the reason we choose to live a certain place. And I want to bring it back to what you said earlier too, that like impermanence, you know, in that impermanence, that allowing like your New York self was right when you were your New York self, just like my, you know, I remember the first day I moved to Vancouver, walking through the neighborhood of Kitsilano and being like, this is home. And then nice walking the land and looking at the place that we bought and being like, this is home and knowing that home changes and, and everything changes and balance. What created balance for me when I was 22, I would say, I would say I was sort of committed to imbalance at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like pint of beer will create more balance. You know, <laughs> Like I got to go out with my friends. That'll create more balance. I got to get in, you know, I got to find a girl that'll create balance. Not knowing all of those things were actually distracting me from violence <laughs> and balance. The irony of that now is not lost upon me, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny, especially looking back to how, like how we used to be there was just, I felt like when I look back to those periods, like especially 21, 22, like I was just swaying from extreme to extreme. Like if I didn't like something, I hated it. If I loved something, I wanted it all the time and I was constantly craving it. There was just no like, you know, let me examine it. Let me observe it. Let me see, you know, it's okay to enjoy, but why like take it to this far edge where, you know, I can consume it so much that it's no longer enjoyable. And it's funny, just um, kind of shifting that mindset and just reframing the way that I interact with whatever comes up in the present moment now. It's like, all right, it's happening. It's here. This is difficult or this is enjoyable, whatever it is. But let me just be with it and then see where it goes. And how can I best, you know, how can I, how can I best just like exist without causing myself or other people so much trouble? In your last uh, year and a half, and you've done how many Vipassanas in the last year and a half? I guess like the world went under a collective Vipassana in some ways. (laughs) Then we had access to Netflix during Vipassana and I had access to salt and vinegar, Miss Vicky's chips, and they were fantastic. Uh, at first when I was sort of stress eating and then observing my stress eating and being like, this isn't going to facilitate a healthy existence. I'm curious. Yeah. In the last year and a half, like what other? In the last year and a half, yeah. I've, I've gone to a few. So for a while there, there was nothing, you know, they were, all the courses were suspended. Then once like the MBA kind of figured it out and they built a bubble, like other organizations started building bubbles and we did the same thing with a Boston organization. It wasn't all of the all the, cause we have a lot of centers. There's like a lot of centers all over the world, but for the ones that could, we ended up creating situations where everybody who wanted to take the course, not only were the courses smaller, like drastically smaller, you would take a test, you know, right before you got in. And then once you got in, you know, everyone still social distance, everyone still wore masks and we would just have the retreats they would just be a lot smaller. And then once people were in there, we would kind of lock the retreat down and nobody else would come in. And it was safe, you know, it was incredibly safe. So it was, at one, I felt really fortunate to be able to like keep, you know, doing my work and keep, you know, keep meditating. 
but um, I went to a few. I've been to like, you know, I did I did the 30-day course between January and February and uh, done. I did one 10-day after that as well. So, Gosh, you've already this, done a 10-day since that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this year in particular, you know, it's interesting because I, like my wife and I, we have a, it's a, we're entering like a pretty interesting area where we're trying to decide if we're going to have kids or not. And um, so my thing is like, whether it's a yes or a no, I got to, you know, hit the pedal to the metal and just try to get in as many retreats as possible. Because once kids come, <laughs> that's all going to have to slow down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you'll be like, okay, entering the meditation zone. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's mindfulness in action, you know, that practice, yeah. finding spaces while you're in distracting spaces. You know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I'm mm-hmm. curious too, like in the, 30 day and then the 10 day, like 30 days, first off 10, I, I know I can survive. And last time we spoke, I was interested in it. And then all the things happen and I've been going sort of back and forth between as much as I could. Really, you can't go back and forth. I stayed in the States most of the time, but by the next, by December 31st, I will have taken one Vipassana. I'm giving my word here. I'm going to do it <laughs> because I felt really drawn towards it. I felt, and, and I know, people, yeah, we, we, we've, we've been talking about it for a while. I can tell your, your interest. It's like, it's time. <laughs> I've gone into the silence, but I'm like, no, nah, I need like no phone. No, I need all of that, you know, cause I know that socially, I would say that extroversion was a survival strategy for me to not be totally. present. Right. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Similar. I had the same type of situation where like the, I would extrovert as a way to run away from myself. But when you, you know, put yourself in that, in the Vipassana scenario, you know, it is hard. Like it's, it's, it's a meditation style that's very serious. And, but for the same reason that it is that serious, like it produces incredible results. And that's why, you know, another reason why I like to support people because depending on their mental conditioning and sort of, you know, basically what they can handle, there are like, you know, like there's lighter forms of meditation. There's all these meditation apps, all these different things if they wanted to try. But if you wanted to do something serious, like, you know, especially with the meditation traditions that are coming out, Myanmar, like the, you know, the Gwenka tradition, Mahasi tradition, those are like really, really serious forms of meditation that, you know, will, will really help just transform your mind and thus transform your life. But I think if you do it, man, you'll you'll thoroughly enjoy it. It'll be hard, but you'll love it. It'd be interesting to see what comes of it, you know, like just having heard your experience. I'm really chasing being able to feel my blood pour, <laughs> move through my... <laughs> and for people you'll feel, listening... You'll feel, you'll feel a lot more than that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm for people listening where, you know, because I remember you saying like, because some people might think, oh, well, I can't afford it or that. But I, I believe it's by oh, donation, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it's by donation. That's that's like pretty special thing about this tradition. And one of the reasons why I stick with it is not only is, is the technique good, but the volition for for what's like motivating, you know, they don't, they, that's what shocked me. You know, I quick story. So like, I remember when I did my like second course, I finished the second one and I think I only had like $24 to give. Cause I was just broke. Like I had nothing. And I remember walking out and being like, I can't believe that all these people want from me is to be happy. Like that's literally what they want. They, they don't, they're, they're not like, even if I have not, you know, didn't give any money at all, they would, nobody would have batted, batted an eye. Nobody would have cared. And 
I would, of course, been welcome to another course, but it's all totally run by donation. So you go there for 10 days and you're, you know, you have a good accommodation, you're well-fed and you're there nice and safe. And somebody actually who went to another course before you donated for you to be able to be there. So at the end of the course, you do have the opportunity to give a donation, but that donation is going to be for the future coming students, you know, for the, for the people who come in the future. And I think that's just awesome because it's this profound like practice and selflessness. And it's also done, you know, it's by means. So like, if you don't, you know, you don't have that much money, give whatever you can. If not at all, that's totally fine. And if you have a lot, you know, give more, but it's, it's amazing and it works. That's how we've been running multiple centers in Canada and the United States and India all over the world. That's incredible. Because even in the act of giving and knowing that you're not paying for your own experience, you're actually paying for someone, a future person's or not. But even in that giving, you're in an act of altruism, just you're leaving on that space of like, oh, this wasn't for me. This is for someone else to benefit, to experience the gifts, this and to be held, you know, and if you, you can't afford it, then to be held in a space where you're getting some healing and you you don't, there's not an exchange. It's like, just get your healing. We don't want anything else. like, yeah, go. It's, this isn't, this isn't transactional. It's not like, you know, you, you come here and then you got to give this and that. It's like, not nah, just, you know, come here, learn how to use your mind, be happy. And I wish you the best. That's such a change for people, you know, and yeah. such good for conditioning. I know one time I, someone in front of me in a drive-through bought my coffee and then I got to the window and they're like, oh, they paid for it. And I'm like, what? I remember being like, I want to go thank them, you know? And I, I remember being in line at a coffee place, standing beside this really lovely woman. She was probably in her 70s, late 70s. It was at a hospital. And I was like, hey, you know, I'd love to buy your coffee. This person did this thing for me and I'd love to pay it forward. And we got to the till and she was so anxious about knowing that I was going to do this for her, that she couldn't receive it. She told me not to. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. So then, you know, I obviously didn't, I felt a little weird about it. I was like, okay. So then I remember buying a coffee and not, and telling the person at the till, like give someone a coffee who you think should get a coffee. And then someone came up to me and thanked me. And I'm like, oh no, I didn't want that. Like that even feels weird. And so I started to do it where I like buy the thing and then I say, give it to a stranger and tell them it's from a stranger that cares. And that was really interesting about that is I was detached from seeing someone get excited about it. Right. And right. also this weird reciprocity that's created when like I buy someone a coffee, then they think they owe me something or like now I want a date or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah. You know, I love that because in those situations, like when you don't know where the donation is coming from. One, there's no pressure to like receive. It's like a lot less pressure. And there's also, there's no ownership from the person who gave. It's like you, you know, cause even in the back of your mind in those types of situations, it's so easy for the ego to take something good that you've done and either create a hierarchy from it or try to create some type of situation where it's like, oh, but they should do this for me at a later date. But it's like, no, 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 you know, what we're actually trying to cultivate is selflessness. We're trying to be able to like practice love in its purest form where you're just giving, you know, just giving and not expecting anything in return. And to be able to, you know, take part in situations like that, it's very rare. And, um, and I think it's, it's rather beautiful, you know, cause it's like, 
like I don't know, like when I go to these retreats, like I don't know who like set all of this up for me, who like, you know, paid for this pillow, who like got this food, who, you know, all, all these things that are helping me meditate. But at the same time, like I have the chance to like give it, you know, for whomever it is, you know, I'll, I'll have no idea. I don't see where the numbers go and, and all of that. And, and it's a beautiful thing too, because even in the organization itself, like nobody makes money from it. So like even the people who are like serving, like people will donate their time to go and serve others, but nobody's like, nobody's getting rich off of this, which is like super rare in the United States and in the world. <laughs> it's but, totally yeah. counterintuitive. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, we could monetize this. Do you want to do that? You know, like automatically <laughs> that's the mindset. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, that capitalist, you know, business mindset it quickly. It's like, how, how can I make more from this? But it's not about that. This is about, you know, how can I decrease the tension in the minds of more and more people and thus create a better world? Because, and that's one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about in this year about like when you were saying about community, what happens when you develop more self-love, when you start knowing yourself better, when you build more self-awareness, right? You, there's going to be less of a tendency to harm other people. You're not going to, you're going to be less inclined to not only, you know, not harm yourself, but not harm others. And if you multiply that over and over again by more and more people who are actually doing their inner work, it's going to create these massive shifts in the world. And we're already seeing them. You know, you see them on like how all of these social justice issues are sort of exploding on social media, you know, from the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matters, you know, so much like love and tension around like the Israeli-Palestinian situation that's happening and just, you know, more and more love for for all people being free, for all people having the space they, they, the, the space that they need to really thrive. I think our world's changing and it's hopefully going to become, you know, more about building structural compassion and just actively undoing any system of harm that is, that is, you know, present and real. And, you know, these systems of harm that we should acknowledge. Yeah, we certainly see the holding on that the systems are trying to have to this sort of collective idea of liberation to be, to be held to, you know, like our earth can easily produce enough food for everybody on it. And yet we're, you know, as you said, we have these centralized forms of food and they're not conducive to, I mean, there's a lot of, that's a whole other podcast episode, <laughs> but you know what I mean? And, and I'm, so for people listening, I want to be on, honor your time here with your new book, Clarity and Connection. You know, what would they sort of gain from it? What could be some of the insights or some of the, like, well, yeah, what would they, they garner? in that experience. <laughs> so with Clarity and Connection, it, you know, if you, if you did read my first book, Inward, Inward is sort of just about the individual. It's just about, you know, it's for anyone who hasn't meditated, who hasn't seen a therapist, but is realizing that they could benefit from some degree of introspection. And Clarity and Connection is the part two of that. It's like, what happens after you start doing this work, after you start getting to know yourself, after you start building self-love, where a lot of people, they develop a new sense of clarity and very naturally and pretty automatically, they're going to start developing deeper connections. And this is what I noticed in my own life. And this is what I've noticed in, in a lot of the lives of my friends who've 
you know, also done their own work in their own ways. And clarity and connection continues that sort of same focus on personal transformation, but interspersed throughout the whole book are all these pieces on relationships. So that if you open to any page in the book, you'll hopefully get some type of reflective material that you can, you know, whether you're in a relationship or not, you'll be able to consider, you know, how, you know, how can I better build self-awareness? How can I more deeply connect with the people around me, with my friends, with my family members? How can I appreciate life more? And, and am I causing myself tension that doesn't need to be there? So it's really for anyone who's, you know, on the journey. I, I really designed the book to be a companion for anyone who is taking their transformative work really seriously. And whether they're beginning or in the middle of it, they're pretty committed to taking it to their own next level. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I think of what you said early on about that journey of understanding of self and then the application of the understanding of self. I like that that implementation of the wisdom and to take the inward knowledge and then practice it, which is, you know, a whole different game, <laughs> you know, putting as the, where the rubber hits the road and, and it really is transformative. And I've noticed your writing has changed to that, you know, going from that introspection, which is still in your writing, but to that like outward connection, hence the title, duh, but like clarity and connection. <laughs> so where can people find it? They can find it wherever books are sold. So you can find it online, Barnes and Nobles, Amazon, Book Depository, Bookshop, or you can just take a walk to your local bookstore and they'll probably have a copy there, but it's out, it's out now. Awesome. And they can find more of you on Instagram and you also have a website that's the same, right? Young Pueblo? Yep. Yep. Youngpueblo.com. You can find me on Instagram, Y-U-N-G underscore P-U-E-B-L-O. And I also have a sub stack now where I'm releasing a newsletter a few times a month. And that's been really fun because I've been putting together a lot of new writing and just sharing it through that medium. And it's, it's a lot more flexible. You don't have to like, you know, combat an algorithm or anything like that. Yeah. You sign up, <laughs> you'll get the email and you'll see it. You know, Simplicity, simplicity. Yeah, exactly. Well, awesome. Diego, thank you so much for your time and the conversation and sharing your wisdom. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you so much too, man. Thank you so much, Mark. Mm-hmm.